Hey, podcast people, how's it going? Azrin, the language nerd here. Hope you're doing very, very well on this fine Tuesday afternoon or whatever day and time it is for you right now as you're listening to this podcast episode. I'm your host, as per usual, Azrin, the language nerd. You can find me primarily on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, LinkedIn, and of course on TikTok. My username on all these platforms is identical. It is at polyglotazrin. That is spelled P-O-L-Y-G-L-O-T-A-Z or Z, depending on your country, R-E-N. You can also simply search Azrin the Language Nerd on whatever your favorite social network is. So again, that is spelled P-O, or excuse me, that is spelled A-Z or Z-R-E-N, the Language Nerd. And welcome to another podcast episode. I am very, very excited as per usual to be recording this one here. I have a lot of different things on my mind for today's podcast, and so let's just dive right in. The first one is that my life is not in a very good balance right now. I've been talking about this on various social networks over the past uh, over the past little while, and I want to talk about it and discuss the, discuss this topic on the podcast. I think if we attack this if we attack this topic and we discuss this topic and we and we delve into this topic, I think it can help a lot of people who are listening to this podcast and I think it'll actually be very very good for myself as well. I find that when I talk about things whether it's to myself in this kind of podcast form or to someone else in real life or whatever it is often it really helps me. So you know the past I would say three to six weeks in most facets of my life I'm not super happy with how I have been choosing to spend my time. When I look at my personal time Even though I have personal time and I'm putting time and energy towards things that matter to me that I enjoy, I'm not spending them in the way that makes me happiest. For example, when I look at um, the amount of YouTube I'm watching, I enjoy watching YouTube. That is something I enjoy doing in my free time. But I'm, I'm watching too much. Like I would rather be doing other things with my free time and not spend that much time watching YouTube. In other words, maybe I'm watching whatever it is, five hours of YouTube in a few days span. And instead, I'd rather I'd rather be watching three hours of YouTube and doing two hours of hanging out with a friend or something like that. I'm just not happy with the balance of where my free time is going. At work, I'm also not happy. I'm working as much as I typically do. That is not really something that has changed. But when I look at what elements of my work I am putting my attention on, I don't feel right about it. I think there's too much time going towards certain things and not enough time going towards other things. And that is a little bit of a problem. When I look at my health and nutrition, I'm not really happy with where it is. I am sleeping about the same as I typically do, but I'm not getting the same quality of sleep that I would like to be getting. In comparison to what I used to get, I'm not getting the same quality. And I feel that, and I don't like that. I look at my nutrition and I'm not eating as well as I would like to be eating. And I haven't been doing exercise for a good six weeks now. That's a problem. I was in a really good stretch. For anybody who remembers, um, when I came back from Taiwan, I had a really good habit in place for a long time. There was a good, I mean, I don't know, four, five, maybe more months where I was doing really well with my act- my physical activity and fitness and things like that. And the past six weeks, I've I've fallen out of a lot of those those positive those positive habits, and you know these are things that are not good. And I want to share this here because I think 
there's probably a lot of you who either A, are listening to this and thinking to yourself that, man, I'm in a similar position right now. I'm not super happy with the balance of where I'm spending my time, and I'm not happy with the decisions that I'm making. And even if you don't feel that now, odds are that you felt it before or you're going to feel it at some point in the future. And in my experience, whether it has to do with language learning or really any topic, sometimes it's really difficult to see where you are, like to see, to really understand what you're feeling until you hear someone else talk about that feeling. Often with myself, I find that someone will say something that I believe in and that I have believed in for a long time or that I, or that I feel I feel the same way as the person who said it, but I didn't consciously realize that I felt that way until that person said it. And then I'm like, right, I believe that. You just put that, you said that in such a clear way and I didn't know how to express that feeling that I had inside me. Great, I have this extra level of clarity. And so hopefully me sharing this can give a couple of you an extra level of clarity of aha, that's kind of what's going on right now. That's why I don't feel quite right. That's why I'm not as happy as I typically am right now. Or like, oh right, six months ago, that's why I wasn't feeling quite good. I wasn't doing blah, blah, blah. So hopefully this helps a couple of you have, you know, reach that extra level of clarity. I will share this, um, today is a much better day for me and, and yesterday evening too, um, about, and yesterday as a whole actually, has been a much better, the past couple of days have been a lot better and I have been better with that level of balance. For example, yesterday when I ate, when I ate dinner, I had a cucumber, like half of a, eh, maybe 40% of a long cucumber and I had half of an avocado with my dinner. That was a good decision. I have not been eating enough vegetables with my dinner for quite some time. So I felt really good about that. I had a, a pre-bedtime snack and I ate spinach with my snack. Like I had some hummus, I had some some pita bread with it, and then I had some spinach. And I was like, yeah, this is, again, not the most healthiest, amazing thing in the world, but definitely pretty damn good. So, you know, I slept a lot better. I made sure that I, I made the right decisions to make sure I can get a better quality of sleep. So ultimately I'm doing a lot better and I want to continue that, continue that positive, that positive momentum. Um, changing gears a little bit, I want to go in a language learning direction, seeing as this is obviously a language learning related podcast. Um, <laughs> and I, um, I want to talk about something that has been on my mind, which is about rote memorization or rather rote language learning strategies. Maybe that's a better way to put it. So when you look at a lot of language learning classrooms and quite honestly, when you look at the main, many of the mainstream beliefs around how one should learn a language based on their personal experiences, there's quite a few people who believe in, in very, let's call it traditional rote style of language learning strategies. Things like doing a whole bunch of worksheets, things like writing out verbs over and over and writing out their conjugations, things like doing a whole bunch of repetitive practice dialogues from a textbook. These are things that people, many people around the globe, around the world, that they do. And I want to spend a minute or two discussing these because I personally am a little bit, maybe a little bit conflicted about them. 
On one hand, I believe that they're ineffective and they're not very, they're not great because they're so unengaging. They're so boring most of the time. And therefore it's something that is difficult to learn from. Often when it comes to learning a new skill, it has to be something that engages the mind and that gets you interested, that keeps you engaged for lack of a better term. On the flip side, a part of me also believes that these rote learning strategies are also quite effective and can really assist language learners quite a bit. Because when you take out a piece of paper and you do these drills and you're writing out these verbs over and over, or if you're doing spoken drills with different, um, with different, uh, what do you call it? Um, with different, uh, <laughs> like repeating certain scripts over and over, like repeating, Hola, como estas? Oh, estoy bien. Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm doing really good. How about you? Doing that repetition over and over will help it stick. And I'm conflicted. And I'm trying to figure out in my own mind, like, where is the line? Is it effective? Is it not effective? Should we be doing rote learning strategies? Should we not? I think my opinion as of today, as I'm recording this in December of 2019, I think where my mind and where my beliefs really lie as of right now is that they work, rote learning strategies are effective, but only to an extent. So if you're struggling to remember, for instance, the past tense conjugations, conjugation rules for verbs in Spanish, and you just cannot remember them and you keep forgetting them, I believe that it is going to be an effective activity and, a, and an effective drill for you to sit down for 20 minutes a day and actually write out seven different verbs in the past tense. I ate, you ate, he ate, she ate, we ate. In Spanish, it's way more complex than that. In English, it's actually pretty easy. It's always ate, but write it out over and over and over. Do it with another verb. Write out some practice sentences. Do the same thing again tomorrow. I think that can have that can be effective and eventually your 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 brain is going to remember oh yeah I ate you ate it'll remember oh yeah I did I walked I and your brain's going to start getting used to it and you are going to become a lot more familiar with that over time by doing those kinds of rote boring types of activities but here's the catch this is where my this is my opinion as of today there's a catch where eventually the effectiveness of the rote style of learning where it tapers off. It doesn't quite, it doesn't help you as much after a certain point and you have to start following up that rote learning, strength, rote learning strategy with other types of strategies. So for example, um, you know, let's say I was consistently forgetting some verb conjugation. Let's stick with that example. And I spent all this time writing it over and over. I did these written drills, I did worksheets, and now my brain understands these conjugation rules on a theoretical level. If you give me a worksheet, if you tell me to write it out, I can do it. But now in order to transfer that skill into a real world environment where when you're speaking with an actual native speaker and you actually are in a situation where you must, you have a need of communicating something in correct, you know, in a grammatically correct way and saying it properly and getting your point across, 
you know, that's a different skill set. And even though you've done a hundred worksheets, even though you've written it out a million times, even though you've done those, you've, you've done your role plays in class, right? Even though you've done it, it's a completely different skill set being able to apply that in a real world environment. And you will likely have to practice in real world environments for the skill of writing it out on paper and doing rote memorization style drills. You're going to have to do something different in order to transfer that skill over and apply it in the real world. In fact, this, in my perspective, as I'm pondering this right now, I actually think many skills in life work this way. If you look at being a, I don't know, being a surgeon, my assumption, I don't know a lot about being a surgeon, but my assumption is that you've got to write a lot of theoretical tests. You need to really understand on a theoretical level, how does the body work? What is human anatomy like? You know, you have to understand the organs. You have to understand the theory of what kind of scalpel is this? What kind of knife do you use in this situation? How do you operate on a kidney? How do you operate on a foot? How do you do this? How do you work that machine? What do you do if the blood pressure drops during the surgery? What do you do if the person wakes up from the anesthesia? I'm sure there's all sorts of theory that these surgeons have to learn. But being able to apply that theory in a real world is something that's completely different. Because maybe they know, okay, um, if the person starts to wake up from the anesthesia, you know, I'm supposed to follow this procedure. I don't even know what the procedure is, but I'm sure there's a procedure to follow. But maybe what they didn't expect is the person wakes up from anesthesia and they start to get scared and like, oh my God, what do I do? And then the nurse who's helping you out knocks the scalpel off of the counter because she got startled. And you're like, oh, and then you get startled. You being able to handle that situation is completely different than you being able to write the test and, and complete the test in a classroom environment. Though, for you to even have a shot at having any level of success in the operating room, you probably would have had to have learned the theory and studied the theory to an extent and done some of the memorization drills and written the test, done all of that. You would have had to have done a bunch of that first in order to even have the shot and a prayer of being allowed into the operating room. While language learning is nowhere near a life and death scenario such as an operating room potentially could be, and there are, there are way less dire consequences of making a mistake with a language than there are in an operating room as a surgeon, I think in many ways these concepts kind of apply. If you haven't studied something in a classroom environment, in fact, let me rephrase that. If you haven't learned how something works and on a theoretical, on a knowledge-based level, whether that be in a classroom environment, whether that be because you have someone taught it to you, whether that be because you followed a study at home program, heck, whether that be because you went to a real life scenario, made a mistake and learned from the mistake and you thought about it and you pondered it and blah, blah, blah. You know, and unless you'd actually spend some time learning how something worked, there's no way you're gonna be able to properly apply it in, the, in a real world scenario. It's gonna be really difficult. And therefore, Using a rote learning strategy is one of many techniques that any that language learners can utilize in order to learn um, the theoretical side of how something works in a foreign language. Uh, please understand that it's not the only way, that's not the only way that a language learner can learn the theory. There are so many other ways you could do it. 
But I think my stance, my position as of today, as of this December 2019, is that rote learning strategies are not necessarily bad, but it's less than half the equation. It's just one tool that partially remedies and partially solves the problem of not knowing how a specific thing works in a language and being able to get closer to understanding it, digesting it, and being able to apply it. But it's not going to be the only thing that one has to utilize. It reminds me actually of a podcast I heard. It reminded me of, uh, I don't know if you guys know of the Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, I don't listen. I think it's called the Joe Rogan Experience. I don't listen to every single episode. To be perfectly honest, I just listen to certain clips from time to time on YouTube, if I if it happens to come across my feed. And there was this one interview, this one clip that I listened to, where they're discussing. Um, they were discussing. It was either being a bodybuilder and something with physical fitness, or it was around financial success. I don't remember what the exact conversation was. My gut is telling me right now that it was about physical fitness. That's kind of where my mind is going and around bodybuilding. It's kind of like saying, if you look at bodybuilders, you know, all of them have big muscles and let's assume that they're very, very strong. They're in very good shape. And it's like saying, oh, all of them drink water. That's why they have big muscles. It's not true, right? Yes, they drink a lot of water. Yes, that is important. Yes, that is something they have to do. But it's not the only part of the equation. They do so much more. They go to the gym. They eat a certain way. They have personal trainers. They 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 learn about how the body works. They they learn about how to recover when they have an injury. They learn there's so much that they do and it's not just about drinking water. And I think that when you look at these rote strategies and really any language learning strategy, I think anytime someone goes and puts all their eggs in one basket and they say that this strategy is the way, you know, I always go in my mind, yeah, in many ways, sure, yes. And it's probably a part of the equation, most likely, or it'll work for some people, but not exactly for everyone. And this, that, the other thing. So this is a, a definitely a, a, a massive thing that was on my mind today that I wanted to share on the podcast. The final thing I wanna share, and then we'll wrap this podcast episode up, has to do with my personal Mandarin, my personal Mandarin studies. And I wanna share a learning point that I've had, a bit of a realization that I've had, that I believe can help a lot of the people listening here on this podcast episode. So um, recently in Mandarin, I've hit this kind of level of comfort. I've hit this, this point where I'm like, wow, you know what? You could stick me in front of native speakers and while I might still struggle, while I don't know all the words, while I still haven't studied all the grammar, I've achieved a certain level of comfort where I don't get as nervous as I used to and I'm able to navigate situations way more than I could before. Um, I had a, I had the situation yesterday where I was with a, a friend of mine um, and we were hanging out and she speaks Mandarin. We only speak in Mandarin together. It's kind of a new friend that I've made recently. And she was helping me with some of my Mandarin studies. I help her with some Spanish and English, things like that. She helps me with Mandarin. And we're sitting there together and we're going through this particular page in my textbook. And she's like, Hazrin, you're still taking Chinese classes? And I was like, yeah, I still take classes. I'm still learning. Like I still have a long ways to go. And she goes, but, but, you can understand everything I say and we can talk about anything and you can get your point across. I understand you, you understand everything I say. 
And she's like, why are you learning? She's like, why are you learning Mandarin? Why are you continuing your studies? It makes no sense. You're already fluent. And that in that moment, I was like, oh, is that how I'm viewed by many people? Are there people that view me that way? Like, oh, he's fluent. Why is he still learning? So that was a big moment for me, like a big moment of success. And second of all, what I told her, and this is, I think many language learners can relate. I told her that, yeah, of course, like, yeah, we can sit down, we can talk, we can, we can, we can, we can, we can, we can communicate and blah, blah, blah. But I still have to stop you sometimes and say, hey, can you repeat that? Or I'll still have to ask you, oh, what does that word mean? And you'll have to use a synonym and then I'll understand it. Or then, or you'll have to explain it and then I'll understand it. And she's like, is that a big deal? I was like, well, it's not a big deal, but I want to get to a point where I almost never have to ask you to explain something, or I almost never have to ask you to repeat something. I almost never have to be like, how do you read that character? Like, I want to get to that point. She's like, oh. And anyway, what I wanted to point out was, was a couple things. First of all, it's been a five-year journey for me. In fact, maybe even a little bit more than five years. If I'm thinking back, I believe my Mandarin journey started in September of 2014, if I remember correctly. And we are now in November, December of 2019. So in fact, if I'm not mistaken, it's been more than five years now, a little bit more. So it's been a little bit more than five years in order for me to achieve a certain level of comfort with this language. And I was reasonably consistent with my studies. There were moments in time where I wasn't studying. There might be a three-month stint where I didn't study, didn't practice. Might have been a six-month stint here. Like, there were moments in time where I definitely wasn't practicing and studying. But I think it gets made up with the fact that, that I've done a lot of intensive study. I went to Beijing for three months. I went to, uh, to Taiwan for, Taiwan for, uh, let me think, two months. I did a two or three week intensive stint where I was doing four to eight hours of Mandarin a day in Calgary. So I was like in online lessons for four to eight hours a day. So that was something I did. So I've done a lot of intensive study. So I think which makes up for a lot of the, the lulls where I wasn't doing any kind of study consistently. So generally five and a bit years of a pretty consistent study in order to achieve, I would say kind of like a mid B1 level, a mid-intermediate level, which is a very respectable level in my perspective. It's really, to be honest, that's kind of the level that most, a lot of language learners are trying to achieve in their target languages. They don't want to be super, super duper fluent like a native speaker. They just want to have a decent level where they can talk to native speakers, they can hang out, they can have some friends, they can talk, they don't, it's not a huge mental strain. And so that's the thing I want to stress for everybody. Like it, it will take, I've said this a million times, it will take a number of years for most of you in order to achieve that level. Second of all, um, I want to point out that in order, at least in my experience, in order to achieve a reasonably strong level in a language, I believe you need a mixture of two different types of language learning strategies that are happening simultaneously at the same time. Number one, you're gonna need some, let's call it more academic style of learning. What, what I mean by that is you're gonna need something, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a study at home program, whether it's like an unofficial teacher, it could be a friend who just helps you out, whether it's like a YouTube video series, whether you're gonna need something that helps you build the foundations in your target language. 
something that helps you understand, at least at a basic level, how some of the pronunciation works, how the writing system works, how some of the grammar points work, how um, what's the difference between this vocab word and that vocab word. Like, you're gonna need something. It doesn't have to be super structured and super traditional or super boring, but you will need something that is slightly more, I'm gonna use the word academic, something more on the academic or structured side of things to help you build the foundations um, of the target language. And then on top of that, you're gonna need a second part of the equation, which is some more casual styles of practice. Listening to music, doing language exchanges, traveling abroad, getting a boyfriend or girlfriend and dating someone for a bit, um, volunteering somewhere and getting some real hands-on experience. Could be something like, who knows, right? Could be, there's a lot of ways. Could be starting a YouTube channel where you try and talk in the language. It could be, who knows, something that's more casual, something that is more taking place in the real world, I suppose you could say. In my perspective, I think a healthy balance of the two is a, is a formula for success at least for me in my experience and based on what I have seen, what works for different language learners. So I wanna talk about that. I wanna share that piece of advice for you because it's been a big thing that's helped me in Mandarin, in French and in Spanish, and heck, even in Gujarati. In every, lang every foreign language I've gone out to learn, that has been a massive, a huge part of the equation for me. And I think it can work for a lot of you too. Anyway, this has gone for a good 25 minutes, so I appreciate your attention. You guys are the best, and we will talk very, very soon. Bye for now. See you.